Welcome to NREI's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at nreionline.com. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to The Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. David, how are you today? I am doing well. How are you today? I am fantastic. I'm excited. I know that you brought another guest onto the show, so why don't you introduce our guest? Sounds good. So uh, this week we we are a special guest, Lou Conforti, who is the CEO of Washington Prime Group, is joining us. So hi, Lou. How are you? Good. How about yourself? I am doing okay. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in Brooklyn. So it's been four months now of basically, I have not left the borough of Brooklyn in four months. So it's definitely been an experience. <laughs> um, how, how are you these days? Good. And I have um, continued to traveling, opening up um, our assets and getting people acclimated back to to shopping and dining and eating. And um, that's so far so good. Well, that's good to hear. So just for um, real quick, you know, for any of our audience that may not know, could you just give people a snapshot of Washington Prime? Sure. We are one of the largest owners of both enclosed and retail venues um, in the United States, um, over 100 properties, and everywhere from Hawaii to Florida and all points in between. And if you think about it, if, our, if, if we were to have a, a primary focus, it's serving as the dominant town center in a robust, secondary trade area, whether that trade area be um, Kansas City or Johnson City, Tennessee, or Oahu in Hawaii. And um, again, we own a a mix of both open air and enclosed assets, and um, we're doing things differently. And so I was looking through some your team sent over a bunch of really helpful documents and, and, and press releases about all of the things that your company has been doing in these recent months in terms of like first navigating, I guess, you know, having to uh, b- both doing things to help support the local community, but now also finding ways to reopen, to help your tenants out, to do even this, this program, this full inventory, um, a uh, uh, program where you've got like fulfillment centers even coming into some of your properties. So I just thought it would mm-hmm. be like really fascinating to hear about all of that. Cause it seems like you've been very proactive and, you know, right now a lot of people I think have a knee jerk, um, you know, they hear, re- you know, retail real estate, it's in a lot of trouble, like, you know, a lot of concerns about what's been happening. It looks like though, you know, in your, what, in your portfolio, you've, 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 been fairly aggressive and assertive and, and 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 kind of coming up with a bunch of ways to help the properties continue to operate to help your tenants so I'm just like like to hear about some of that stuff sure well I operate well it's probably because I don't know any better so I was brought in by um, David Simon and the board about four years ago we're a SPG a Simon Property Group spinoff and one of the things I was adamant about um, implementing is anything other than the status quo. And I'm only being 
half um, you know half facetious mm-hmm. you know one of the fundamental issues with this sector and with physical retailing in general it was just it was insipid it was passive mm-hmm. um there was no thought of there was no thought of curation and to a brooklynite i know like i'm going to try to use as many hipster words as i can <laughs> so uh, curation I know you're distilling something at any given, because everyone in Brooklyn distills something and farm to table. All right. I, I think I've exhausted my, uh, my hipster buzzwords, but, um, you know, the onus of burden rested upon the shoulders of the landlords. And I would contend for the last couple decades, it was just, it was just absolute passivity. We, we were rent collectors versus. Um, as opposed to operators. I need you to talk more about the, some of the cool shit we're doing, and if you want me to go there. So during this godforsaken, awful, you know, coronavirus pandemic, which, you know, first and foremost, I care about human lives, whether they're colleagues or guests. You know, I just, I just thought, as did my colleague, that we can sit in a, on our asses or we proactively address the needs of our demographic constituents. And I will tell you that we started an initiative called WPG Cares, mm-hmm. and we have recently completed our 500th community service project. And we have 100% participation throughout the country in all of our assets. And they range from medical distribution facilities to COVID-19, um, I guess you call them testing stations, to feeding essential workers, to providing daycare, to, you know, you and um, the list goes on and on. And we really were adamant about working with our, with, you know, those municipal or local and regional or state you know, officials in the five and the nonprofits to see what we can do. And here, I, it's not, it ultimately is, you know, does it inure to the benefit of us as a company, but more importantly, it, in, it inures to the benefit, benefit of us as human beings. And I can't tell you how blown away I am by my colleagues, both corporately and those on the ground, you know, whether it be in pouring rain, you know, dishing out. Uh, meals and just it's been it's been an amazing amazing focus so that I, I guess it would be that philanthropic endeavor something that was extraordinarily important to us and we thought okay during a time of you know the vast majority of our assets and tenants um, you know taking a break as a re- as a result of this exogenous shock that hit everybody what can we do to buttress and, you know, strengthen up our, you know, our tenants, um, both big and small? So as it relates to small, we did something that has gained national recognition, and we did something called Open for Small Business. You go on our website, and it has its own website, and very simply, it, was, it is a collaboration with the University of Chicago with um, Steve Levitt, who's the author of Freakonomics, a dear friend of mine, and Richard Thaler, who won a recent Nobel laureate. And these guys were thinking about things 
big picture macroeconomic about what is the you know the, the, the iterative impact of having local entrepreneurs go out of business and I'm not that smart I was thinking in a much more practicalist standpoint long story short we got together provided universal templated lease modification agreements and then began hosting webinars at first those webinars were about you know how to get a guarantee I would call it a, an SBA 7a guaranteed loan and they've turned to they expanded to leadership, how to merchandise, to yoga classes, to mental health, to physical health. And that's something we're going to continue. And we'll bring it to the physical as, you know, as times and conditions warrant. So WPG Cares, open for small business. And then I'll group the last several things we did. Well, and then we can chat about it inventory in a moment if I'm I made, but these were the things we did were just really um, catering to our tenants and understanding that the world isn't binary. It's not e-commerce or physical space, and only one is going to exist. And you know, unless you live in your mother's basement, you know, shouting for meatloaf like Will Ferrell, you know, people are going to get out, and they like that society. They like that in the human interaction, and you know, so we. We try to, you know, strike a delicate balance between physical space and e-commerce, and we've we did something called well-picked goods, where we were uh, highlighting interesting goods that, obviously, as our stores were closed, the only way to get them was online. Um, several other initiatives, and the, the thing that you had mentioned, uh, David, was Fullventory, which is our last mile of fulfillment initiative. And very simply, what we do is we combine last mile fulfillment of the ability to buy online, pick up in store, buy online, return in store, the um, I, I think the acronyms of BOPIS and BORIS. And for us, there, and more importantly, our tenancy, there are really measurable and quantifiable um, benefits of doing as such. One, you, um, engage in a pickup or a return, you're more likely, you're you're more apt, I think you on average you spend about a dollar twenty for every dollar returned, just in ancillary goods and you know, perhaps services. You know, so these are folks that have a proven, you know, that are proven purchasers of consumer products and for whatever reason they might find it more efficient to pick it pick it up in our assets and as a result it it's reciprocally beneficial they we get increased traffic they have the ability to upsell or incrementally sell more goods it's a it's a amenity for our our guests and that uh, we make it very simple so we started beta testing these and and smaller square footages and the response has been extraordinary. It really has blown us away to the extent that we've done a couple very large 80,000 square foot deals. And here, the long story short, and I'll quiet down, is there's a symbiotic relationship between physical space and e-commerce. And shame on my sector for not understanding and nurturing that relationship.
one of the examples of that is at um, the Morgantown Mall in in West Virginia, correct, where you took what was a former Sears location and turned it into one of these fulfillment centers? That's exactly right. Um, dedicated to West Virginia universities, um, I believe it's their health system or their medical system, their, their, their health system. So that's one of the big ones. And we have several more traditional inline retailers that on eight assets or that have chosen, for instance, we were just on the phone yesterday, they want eight locations where they could have, think about it as their ability to provide hub and spoke fulfillment in a region. You know, generally our assets are located, well located, you know, situated off of an interstate, there's enough population density, you know, so on and, and um, so forth. Right. I mean, it makes a lot of sense because, I mean, just the demographics of a site that you put a mall in is by, by definition going to be in a, an area that's good to access, easy to access, and that's got a, a certain trade area around it, right? So it's like the, the, the kind of, you know, the fundamentals that make it a good mall kind of seem to read, would reinforce this idea that it would be also work um, for this other purpose. That's exactly right. And it's a willingness or a kind of a the reality check, which you know, unfortunately, many of my peers have been reluctant to do, is to understand that we are in the curation business, and that curation isn't wholly exclusive to you know junior fashion and accessories, which we do a lot of. Uh, demographic data parsing and coefficient weighted analyses. You know, when I came in, I quickly recognized that our assets, and it's just not our assets, the industry was long 43%. So think about it, every crowd of every 10 tenants was dedicated to junior fashion and accessories. Mm. Now, I love to wear a good midriff t-shirt with, uh, and it was, it was, as much as the next person i'm obviously kidding my, my daughters are going to be appalled as they listen to this but holy cow we have just stiff-armed huge swaths of our of our demographic constituencies by not providing them interesting things and there are plenty of interesting you know lifestyle oriented goods and services that we should be providing and it, it truly is hyper-exaggerated or emphasized in our, and again, in our second, our dominant secondary town center uh, focus, because we are, I guess, definitely the dominant town center. And, you know, three quarters of our, what, you, what, what people call malls, and I hate saying the word mall, but um, I'll, I'll say it anyway. Three quarters of our malls have a lifestyle and open air component to them. And, I would recommend that number is only going to increase. So we, it's, it's incumbent or it's imperative that we serve, you know, we're all things to all people. And again, not just, you know, those national retailers that were, you know, that with very little differentiation between brands. Right. I mean, the Washington prime portfolio, right. Does is a, 
a lot of the stuff that um that glimpsure was part of the glimpsure um i can't glimpsure company like polaris town center like those kind of assets that i remember from when they were being built i don't even know remember how long ago but i remember speaking with michael glimpsure back in those days about about the development of, of these um you know more town center like you're saying like the just the, what i think of glimpsure as being like this you know strongly positioned player in secondary markets with these kind of assets that were not just your traditional regional malls and i and i and i I think that's a lot like a lot of what's in now the the portfolio that's um that remains in the portfolio correct Correct. yeah if if you're spot on and what we've done is you know implemented you know i don't know people say 1.0 2.0 3.0 but you know the next you know um you know kind of array of lifestyle offerings and you know, I can Polaris, for example, what we've done with Polaris, yeah, what, quite frankly, what our leasing professional and property management teams, I just, I just cattle prod and then they tell me to, you know, quiet down. But what our, what are my, what my colleagues have done in Polaris and pretty much everywhere else has been amazing. We're, we're building a field house USA, which averages I mean, I, I, I'll err on the lower side, I think 800 to a million visitors annually. So you think about, and these are children and parents that, um, for organized sporting activities and a host of other, uh, athletic, um, activities. And you think, you know, derivatively, what else should we be offering? Uh, a guardian, a kid, uh, you know, in addition, you know, other than the same old, same old. So in conjunction with that, we've done a lot of common area activation, which, you know, quite frankly, is free. It's free. We started something called the yard, which is, think about it as an adult play area. We're doing a lot of local craft uh, breweries. We do are doing drive-in movies and we actually started with that at the onset of COVID where we just wanted to maintain relevancy and provide an immunity for our guests. So there's always a big blank, you know, uh, uh, department store wall. Mm -hmm. And with some uh, video technology, we've seen some pretty cool movies. You know, we've had our concert series for years which in some places average 20,000 people over the course of a two or three day weekend you know so what can we do to continue to to satisfy both the 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 commodity needs as well as the discretionary needs of our tenants and it's unlimited it's truly unlimited I'll mention one other thing with respect to this is that I kind of had fun with Brooklyn a couple minutes back, but I will go toe for toe that Peoria on a per capita basis or Johnson City or hey, take your pick with you know over a hundred assets. Then on a per capita basis, we have as many hipsters doing cool things as Brooklyn. And we really haven't provided a venue for that local artisan that 
that small batch, I don't know, bourbon distiller that, you know, and it's been ridiculous because with this industry waited with their hands out and acted as rent collectors. And that's why they got, you know, that's why they got nothing interesting for so long. Right. It becomes more. You know, and I'm not, I'm not denigrating. I'm, I'm sorry. Go on. I was just saying, like it, it's you know the, the the general like commodification of the asset class where a lot of the malls, you know, the stereotype of malls just being very redundant about the same kind of tenanting and the same kind of being very uniform. You as can, opposed to David, like, you can David, you can walk blindfolded, not in our assets, and. With a high degree of expectancy, with 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 uh, with certainty, you can tell. You know, you can name those assets. You know, I mean, I'm sorry, those those the, the inline tenants, because it was just it was it was just rote and methodical. There was no curation, and curation not only manifests itself with diverse tenant diversification, but with with um, common area activation and. You know, we've done everything, and again, I'm obviously very cognizant of of the pause we're taking with respect to coronavirus. But right before we did a right before, I believe it was in January or February, we beta tested eight assets with, then um, did a TikTok social media influence camp influencer campaign over the course of two days in those eight assets. We had 12,000 discrete visitors. I'd never seen anything like it. And 54 million views hmm. on our page. Wow. And we did it for an older demographic, um, I think six months previous, with a couple of Martha Stewart, I shouldn't say wannabes, but, you know, and, and, and we have the ability to focus on, on analytically, uh, you know, provide the analytics and or to perform the anal- analyses that allow us to better understand our demographics. You know, it's it, again, the, the rent collection mindset of this space was appalling. You know, there was one other thing I wanted to pivot to, um, which was looking at uh, the, the company website. Um, this emphasis on ESG and the responsibility, you know, the, the, uh, that, that responsibility for the company. So I was wondering if you could talk about how that has focused, how that has influenced, you know, the strategy and, and where, why you see that as, as an important way to be positioning the company on that front. Well, and, you know, I can talk, I mean, I, you know, you know, I think it's, it's important to separate the E, the S and the G mm-hmm. and, I, I might spend too much time on the S, which is very important to me and it's been to my family, you know, and I, I'm not, I'm not eschewing all things environmental. And of course our corporate governance is regarded as some of the best on the street with more visibility via supplemental, but as it relates to the S, the social, it's not good. It's not, it's certainly good for the company but the polarization, and this is where I, I'm, I do get in trouble for being overtly, you know, 
opinionated with respect to my my social liberalism, but um, how dare us not respect fellow human beings? That's all I'll say about that. So I can talk about the E and the G. Environmental, we're always beta testing interesting things. Cheryl Van Tatten runs that as a technology for us. Talk to her. She is absolutely amazing. And I'm going to sound stupid because, uh, you know, those types of um, implementations, we're obviously certainly doing them. But um, I stick to my knitting in that regard. But in our governance, I mean, we're generally recognized as the best provider of supplemental information and just extra information. And that's just based upon my perspective of uh, we have a fiduciary and how dare us and me if I'm not, if I don't provide more versus less. So the social in summary is something that it pains me to see the polarization that's occurring in this country. And I'm not going to go on anymore because then I'm going to get in trouble. Someone, I'm going to get in trouble by somebody. Okay. I think that seems like a good place to leave things then. So, um, I definitely want to thank you so much for coming on and giving all these highlights and talking about everything that the company's been up to is very, uh, very helpful. And, you know, definitely been very curious about, you know, hearing what's happening on the ground and with, with, with some of these retail assets, just like, you know, in, in this, in this strange time that we're in. So I appreciate you so much, um, kind of, kind of taking us through all that. Well, I appreciate the opportunity and I just, I, you know, we, the, the burden, the, the burden rests upon landlord's shoulders, on tenant's shoulders, and there needs to be more collaboration between the landlord and tenancy and, you know, and just work towards, you know, satisfying what our guests want. I mean, I think in many instances we've lost sight of that. Thank you all. All right, guys, this was a great podcast. David, thank you so much for bringing them on. Uh, great information again, as usual. And of course, the last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you for listening and tuning in to the Commentary Podcast with David Bodemer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and colleagues. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at NREI, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back in two weeks for all the stories that matter to you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of NREI or Informa. The content has been made available for information and educational purposes only.